0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS marketers and product people. Our amazing guest today is Asia Rangio, CEO and founder of Demand Maven, and we're going to talk about managing growth today. This show is brought to you by Usalist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. It matches the complexity of your customer data including many-to-many relationships between users and companies. Book your demo call today at userless.com. Hi, Asia. Hello. We are so excited to have you here today. We've, We've talked before at your breakfast, but... It's been like five years or so, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a whole world has changed since we last job. And not just once, not just once, uh, but (laughs) multiple times, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Give us a few words about your background and what your company does for SaaS companies.
1: Okay, so I'm the CEO and founder of Demand Maven. We are a growth consultancy and we work with early stage teams on reaching their growth milestones, troubleshooting growth, and finding growth opportunities. My background, so I, I come from a marketing background. I've been running Demand Maven now for about five years. And previously, I was head of marketing at a VC-funded startup here in Atlanta. And then also previous before that, I was Demand Gen at another VC-funded startup. And I also served on the board of Moz before it was successfully acquired in June of 2021, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah, it's been a ride, but it's been awesome. Interesting. I remember
0: that moment when you were being appointed there. I didn't hear the story of uh, that being. Uh... <laughs> so you're not no longer on the board right now, right? Because
1: uh, when a, a, something I learned was, whenever a company gets acquired, the board gets dissolved because it gets uh, obviously like the company is merged into the into the buying company, but. Yeah, the the story about how I got that role was really interesting and kind of funny, but it basically was Rand Fishkin slid into my DMs on Twitter and was like, hey, so I've got this opportunity. And I was just like, what? And it just went from there. And it was was surreal, but it was probably the most uh, impactful, I think eight or nine months of my life. Um, It took about, I think it took a few months before I was officially like on the board but it was about a full year before the acquisition happened so it was it was
0: awesome would totally do it again what are you up for these days you're running a, an agency that uh, does services for other companies and helping them manage growth that's our topic for today what exactly does that mean yeah
1: okay so managing growth okay so one thing about us is that we are constantly iterating and testing different services and different ways of working and the way of working that we find just has the most momentum, gets the most bang for buck, and also generates the best results is when we actually work together on managing growth and running growth sprints. Growth sprints is a term that you might hear from the book Hacking Growth by Sean Ellis. You also might hear this applied in the like design thinking space. And I believe that there's a book also called Sprint by an author I'm going to completely forget the name of but basically the concept is you take the concept of a sprint which it can be some amount of time uh, in this particular case it is recommended that it's about a 2 week time frame and you apply it to growth so there's the kind of growth sprint idea or growth sprint methodology and then there's the how you actually arrange the organization around the growth sprint to actually get it done and we start this by first getting aggressively clear about what the North Star KPI is. And if you're unfamiliar with the concept of the North Star KPI, basically that means, what that means is, we are looking for the KPI or the metric that directly correlates to growth. And what I mean by that is, if we were to think about our business in terms of levers, we've got about five growth levers. And there's generating more traffic. There's creating more sales, aka closing more deals. Or converting more trials, then there's there's retaining more customers, there's charging more, and then there's growth by operations, meaning hiring people, implementing tools, processes, things like that. We're looking for a KPI that when we have a change in, we have a dramatic change in growth. Like there is a direct implication on MRR. For some teams, that's going to be as simple as traffic. For other teams, it's going to be um, activation rates. So. When we convert more customers into paying customers, we get more revenue. Or whenever we get more people who visit the website to jump into a trial or book a demo, we get more customers. Like those are the kinds of levers that we're looking for. But we want the one that is the thing that needs to be most dramatically improved. And if we dramatically improve it, we see the most change in revenue. And that North Star KPI, there is no one size fits all. It really truly has to be based on your circumstance and your team. And your business. But once you identify it, you are then going to identify what is called a focus area. Focus area basically says, okay, if we know that this is our North Star KPI, what are the other metrics that tier up into a change in that KPI? You could also think about this in terms of, okay, if we know that our North Star KPI is some number, what is the area of the business that that most correlates to? So for example, if we decide our north star KPI is increasing traffic, then our focus area is now acquisition, um, and/or our focus area could also technically be okay. Well, maybe number of blog posts that we publish or whatever it is. We've got to be careful here though because it's really easy to incentivize execution without actual results. But again, this is a process. This isn't like a one size fits all. You know, this is the answer. But we always start with this north star KPI and this focus area, and then from there we get to do the fun work of reverse engineering how we think we're going to get there. And that's the really fun, hard part. <laughs> um, and then also actually executing it. Um,
0: but this is actually the part that I like the most. You mentioned two-week sprints. And this is like a blink of an eye of a fly on the wall of an elephant in like in the word of a marketer. It's basically, you can't do much What do you do in those two weeks and how come that is the baseline time unit for your sprints?
1: Yeah, so two weeks is what we start with for sure. But two weeks though, so one growth experiment doesn't have to be a big giant thing. It could actually be quite small. Let's say, for example, that you have the idea of, okay, so let's say activation is is your focus area and your notes, Star KPI is we need to increase the amount of conversion rate from free trial to paying customer. In two weeks, you could very easily completely change your sign up flow. In two weeks, you could also write a couple of new onboarding emails if you don't have any. Like there's there's some things that you can do tactically very fast, and then there's other things that may require months. So like overhauling the website design, for example, like that's not a two week process. That's a several months process. The goal though is a lot of times we find there's this big list of ideas. A lot of these ideas though are two week ideas. They're not four month ideas. They're okay. Like let's just take a few hours and like implement that and then measure it after. Can be as simple as we've always wanted to change the messaging on our homepage. Okay. That can potentially be a two week process, depending on how quickly you're able to execute. And then two weeks is the baseline, but I think it's going to depend, obviously, on your bandwidth. So if it's just you, solo founder, two weeks is probably not enough. Uh, You probably need a little bit more time. If you have a few contractors or freelancers that you can work with, then two weeks could actually be enough time to, to really prioritize things. But at the same exact time, like I said, your mileage may vary. It's going to depend. Two weeks is what we start with, though. We try to start with being aggressive first and then letting reality hit us later. (laughs) Um, But for the teams that are able to make the two-week sprint time work, they are able to move incredibly fast, learn very fast. And I think the important thing here is to not get hung up, to not let, I guess, the fear of execution hang you up from actually doing it. It is better in this case, in a lot of cases, to just have it be done. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the title of the project, of, of the podcast, um, Better Done Than Perfect. But what's important here is, and this is this is the other part of the step, is it's not just that we execute, it's that we learn from it because the learning is actually where the secret sauce is. The learning is where the magic happens. And if we execute things and we never define a hypothesis, we never say like, okay, well, we think it's going to improve this KPI by this much. And then we go back and we check ourselves of like, okay, did that actually happen? Was that true? And we never actually learn. And so we end up in this gray space of, I don't know if that worked or I don't know if it didn't. And, and then it makes us afraid to do something else. And I think that that's the, that's the mindset that we have to shift in, in, a, in a growth sprint like this or several sprints. And again, like two weeks is the baseline. But like it could really, it could really expand, expand depending on what it is that you're actually executing.
0: You've already mentioned a few examples of things that can be done in two weeks. By the way, sign-up flow, no way two weeks. Like It took us like three months <laughs> because it requires like engineering and design work. End of detour. Can you give us more examples of things that you specifically did with your clients? Just some of them and some learnings, good or bad, that were a result of this.
1: Okay, so in terms of bigger, larger projects, I think there was a six seventh month project that we worked with a client on, and it was producing their very first ebook guide, downloadable resource based on data. And our big bet was that the audience that we were targeting, they probably weren't going to be as enticed by like a really basic ebook, something like something that all the competitors had, like we really wanted something unique and, and also something that really spoke to the value that this particular product provided. And And also just like the way that this, the culture of this team like really thinks. And we made a big bet on, okay, we think that we need to generate a ebook or guide based off of data that we collect and that we analyze and that we kind of give back to the community of learning of value. And it took us basically from August of last year until the beginning of this year to build it define it, launch it, do the whole thing. It was a very, very long growth experiment. (laughs) So glad we did it though, because the original goal that we had, we were like, okay, if we get 200 marketing qualified leads from this, that would be considered a win. We ended up with 500 and still counting. So we get like 50 to 100 a week now at this rate. And part of this is like, okay, well, we got to go back and redefine what MQL is because it's possible that some of them are getting qualified a little bit too soon. (laughs) But um, (laughs) at the same exact time though, we were so blown away by the response. And in terms of experiment, the sales team is excited because they're like, oh my gosh, we are like, there's so many leads now to go through. And so now we're working with them on figuring out, okay, how do we qualify, nurture, et cetera. And many of most, a lot of them are starting trials on their own. Like it's really exciting. Um, But now we've kind of like opened up you know, the floodgates a little bit. And so now we're kind of like, okay, great. Now we get to figure out what we do next. So in terms of like, what's possible in two weeks, obviously this is a little bit easier when you, when you have a team of people who can execute much harder, obviously when you don't, but we were able to in two weeks, okay, we are now going to create a very simple nurture. The two week sprint that we're in right now is what is the relatively bottom of the funnel slash qualifying piece of content or thing that we can put in front of this list of MQLs that we're generating to further qualify them, potentially get more data and also further personalize their experience. And that we're actually a little bit over the two weeks. We're at like three weeks right now, but the goal would be to ultimately get a piece of content out relatively quickly just to test and just to see. But there are others that are like are definitely in the couple of months camp. So Another experiment that we have is what if we ran a webinar that covers this report that we provided and put it out to not only this list, but existing customers, things like that. And So so those are the kinds of cycles that we can certainly run in. Some take way longer than others, of course. But I think in terms of learning from them, it's just so interesting because like a plan, when it meets reality, you're just like, oh, that's how it actually works in real life. And it's been really cool to come back, learn, and discuss with the team of like, okay, what do we learn? What worked? What didn't work? What's next? We're already planning for the next version, the next iteration of this. So when we do it again, it's like way better and way more awesome than what we did the first time. It was version one. So we're preparing for version two, which we probably won't kick off until August of this year. But all that to say, it's been, so this is like one aspect of the work that we're doing on the marketing side. And that's been really awesome. And I feel you, by the way, on the sign up flow thing. So to clarify that, um, I think when it comes to the full sign up flow experience, yeah, I've been working with a client now. It's it's taken an actual year actually to to make adjustments. But there are there are some pages though that we can access that we can make tiny adjustments to, and things like copy some layout. But other parts are technically built in the app itself, and that creates like you need you have to have engineering resources. So yeah, I think your mileage may vary on that one too but yeah it i think it depends at the end of the day but there were some things that we were able to like just quickly change and some things we were like oh this has no impact very little impact <laughs> and other things were like easier
0: i'm very excited that you laid out those levers cuz i haven't heard anybody really sum up those levers so well like you did uh, traffic sales retention charging more and operations and the biggest levers the simplest the most powerful one, but also the hardest to execute is pricing, making changes like giving up a free trial or, you know, going from demos to sales, uh, things like that. (laughs) How do you combat the resistance on those? Because it's not like you can change your pricing in two weeks. It's not like you can, (laughs) you know, upsell your customers to something in two weeks. These are all hard decisions but they can like really affect your revenue in the bottom line, which is upside. And they also don't require too much product work. Mm -hmm. Any advice?
1: Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked about pricing. Okay. Model stuff. I completely agree. So when I think about the stuff that intimidates me, I think about model because you're, you're right. It's actually really tough to test, especially if you're in the early days. The only way to really, truly test it is to is to commit and run with it and see what happens and then measure it six months after (laughs) and see what, and like, and that's a really long, that can be a very long feedback cycle. Okay. So what we do is we actually take the price intelligently and profit well approach to thinking about pricing and also about understanding model. And for what it's worth, you're right. This isn't, I wouldn't consider this a two week sprint. This is like a two month sprint to me at least. So we start with, We always start with both qualitative and quantitative data. The first thing that we do is we have to get a sense for what the value metric is, specifically from a product perspective. So when we think about that Northstar KPI again, chances are that Northstar KPI, if it's something product related, it could actually very well be indicative of your value metric, which is what you use to determine pricing. But it's basically like, what is the activity or thing that most correlates to value to a customer and or to a very active user who gets it, who uses it all the time daily? And there's a few examples of this I can give if, if that's helpful. But what we start with is, OK, when when we look at when we look at the product and we look at what customers say about what's valuable. And then we identify out of all of the events, like product events, like we're talking like segment database type stuff. When we look at product events, what are the things that people who are very high value, what are things that they use and do the most? And that can give us a little bit of a sense for what the value metric might be. That's one side of it. The other side is we have to collect qualitative data. So we will send out surveys. We will start with price sensitivity surveys. And a price sensitivity survey, there's four questions. Uh, It's based off of the, oh gosh, I'm going to completely forget the name of this. The last name I always forget, but it's based off of a, if you were to look up price sensitivity analysis, you'll find a name of a guy. It's like van something. And (laughs) that's the type of price sensitivity analysis that we're talking about. Just four questions. The analysis that you do from that will tell you your price elasticity. It will also tell you what the ideal optimum price would be based off of how customers respond. But there's a layer that we can add to this because joining frameworks is like one of my favorite things to do. So let's say you were to do a price sensitivity analysis, ask your four questions. Let's say you were also to ask another four questions and do your the product market fit survey, the one that like Superhuman and Basecamp did. It was just four questions. Well, the most critical one being, how would you feel if you could no longer use this product? Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, not disappointed at all. If you were to to combine both of those in the same survey, you could get price sensitivity not just globally, but also based on customers who said very disappointed and who also fit the ideal target profile that you're looking for. And this is powerful because if you have, let's say, a couple hundred customers, then you can get very statistically relevant data very quickly. And this gives us another inkling of, okay, here's generally what the price is. But we're gonna actually add another layer, and that's the feature preference analysis. And price intelligently, they talk a lot about the difference between relative value versus like just asking what people's favorite features are. And you get this like really pretty, like slightly sloping curve of oh, these are like the top features. But price intelligently, and Patrick Campbell obviously, like they argue that. Those are like really nice charts. But what you really want to know is like what features drive money? Like what makes you money? What are the features that ultimately drive revenue? And you can do that with a feature preference analysis. You're basically asking customers, okay, out of all of your features, what's the most valuable to you and what's the least valuable to you? And you can only pick two. You can't go to every feature and tell, you know, score them. That's kind of a waste of time. You've got to ask them, what's the most valuable, what's least valuable? So you can imagine this survey. (laughs) And if you include all of these questions, it can get kind of long. So you can split this up into two surveys, one where you focus on one type of information, another where you focus on another type. If you're really super savvy, you can can join the customer ID and join data in that way. Most developers and engineers probably have like no trouble navigating that aspect. Me, however, I'm like, how do we do this? (laughs) But then you can get a level of analysis where not only could you say, oh, these are the features that drive value. We should probably price around them. Um, But also you get a sense for what do best paying customers say versus not best paying customers say. So not only do you get a sense for what to charge them, but you also know around what to charge them. What features should we ultimately be like feature, like price gating, like maybe you have a freemium tier or what have you, but you've got to like upgrade to get to these things. It'll give you so, so much insight. Obviously having someone to navigate this with you is pun intended priceless, but overall you like, you just learn so much. And this is the part that I geek out about so much. Like it's so much fun. I'll tell a quick story. Hopefully I'll keep it short, but we actually went through this process with a client and their number one challenge was, well, they had two challenges, but the first was the freemium customers weren't actually like they they have tons of freemium users and not enough customers. I think the conversion rate was like, it's like 0.001% or something. And they were really struggling because they need the freemium users to become free trial. Like it's actually, and then also like actually become like a real paying customer. So we go through this process and what we find out is the freemium users and the best paying customers both consider the same feature to be extremely high value. But the challenge was they're, the freemium users, they were getting too much of it for free. So there was no incentive to upgrade. The other thing was they used to have a middle pricing tier, like a small pricing tier so that we freemium users could like have like a little nice, like little jump pad. So they would go from paying nothing to paying maybe 25 bucks. And then you could jump to 99, which felt like a very big jump. Well, at some point last year, the company removed the small tier. And so what ended up happening was they ended up with a very bloated back end of tons of freemium users and not enough people jumping to the 99 plan. So but what we found though was these customers, great paying customers and freemium users find the same things valuable but the challenge was that freemium users there wasn't a plan for them anymore to upgrade to that felt approachable enough. And so when they removed that small tier, it dramatically impacted their growth, but they didn't realize it at the time. So anyway, all that to say, all of this research like simple survey and it's like, it's intense to run uh, and to analyze, but very simple survey by design. And we what we came away with was we need to reintroduce that plan, but we actually need to feature gate some things and then put some things in some plans and then adjust other plans. And there was a, a strategy that we proposed that they implement. They haven't implemented it yet. So I can't tell you if it worked or not. But what we found though was interestingly enough, it was very similar to a competitor plan and that wasn't by design. It was actually by accident. And what we kind of realized was like, oh my gosh, if we we go this path, fine. But we'll also need to then think about how do we differentiate in the future? Because what we came, our our takeaways were, oh, like this is the direction that we should go. It just so happened to be very similar to a competitor plan. And we were like, hmm, that's interesting. But anyway, so that's part two of the iteration cycle. But anyway, got to geek out on pricing a little bit, but that's just an example of
0: like how we think about it. Definitely not a two-week process though. (laughs) we just had an episode of price about pricing here lately and one of the takeaways that like everybody should always keep in mind is that never compare your pricing to your competitor's pricing because you never know what version of pricing that is and what the thinking is and the strategy and it just doesn't make any sense totally by the way we do have a great email examples post how to send out a survey which we're going to link to in the show mm-hmm. notes but If you run a B2B SaaS with 200 customers and you send out a survey, you're going to have six responses to work with. I'm sorry, Asia, what's the replacement therapy for a survey uh, in this case? Like you're not going to have enough results for sure. That's so interesting because we've worked with customer bases that size and we've gotten like 50
1: plus. So the number to shoot for would be 20. percent 25% on a customer base? Some of them, yeah. Oh yeah. And like, you know, your mileage may vary. There's It's rare. Uh, It's rare that we work with a company where they don't get enough responses, but even 20 would be enough to make decisions. And obviously this isn't like a drop in the hat kind of thing too. I think if pricing is something that you're really struggling with or if model in general, not just pricing, but like, how do we structure the model here? If those are things that you're struggling with, I would wager that you could continuously generate insight. And so not just send out the survey once, but maybe periodically, every quarter. So over time, you do get enough data to make a good enough decision. But 20 to 25 responses would be enough. And if now if you get less than that, what do you do? And this is where there's a couple of options, depending on budget. But when it comes to, you could certainly offer to pay for survey responses. Not my favorite, but it is an option if you're really desperate. The other option, though, would actually be leveraging audience interviews. You wouldn't be able to ask questions like, would you pay this much? But what you could do is you could gather data about what they're already paying for. And that could also be an interesting way to to get insight. This, however, it's risky because like, especially if you don't necessarily have enough like survey responses like to how people are using your product, certainly risky to go this way. But it is another way for sure. And then I think the last thing too is you could always focus on qualitative interviews and research. So if surveys are not the move for whatever reason, maybe your audience, they're just not survey takers, but maybe they're talkers and they would talk to you. Maybe a 10, 15 minute phone call. That could be enough to get understanding of like how they think about something. You could just ask them these questions and they could answer But that also runs its own risk because, you know, someone talking to you, to your face is very different than being brutally honest on a survey where they're not talking to you. (laughs) But, you know, this is kind of where like product teams, founders, they, uh, there's trade offs, there's compromises, but there are ways to get there. And then as you get more customers, your survey responses will be even more, um, you'll just get more of them and
0: you'll be able to trust that data more. Let's talk about KPIs a bit. I'm going to list a few example KPIs and you you tell me if these are good for the north star and maybe if they're not and why and just sort of a blitz style. So website traffic obviously. Uh, yeah, that's oh a good one. Obviously. That's a good search one. traffic. Is it a KPI in itself or mm. is it just a means to an end? I think it can be. It can be.
1: Mm-hmm. I think for the right company, yes.
0: Conversion rate from visitor to trial or from visitor to like email sign you know? up.
1: Yes, especially if it is if, if it is not giving, if it is not performing, yes, it can be.
0: Mm-hmm. A number of demos uh, yeah, that's a that's an easy one. <laughs> I'm gonna have a follow up question on how like how you how you milk that because it has so many levers attached to it because you can um, try play with conversions, but you can also try and put more traffic on top. like what do you do? Yeah, this is kind of where the focus area comes in. So if you know that there
1: are many different inputs to an North Star KPI, you can decide and this is obviously going to be based off of your analysis of like why you might feel like that KPI isn't working or why it's not performing well, but this is where the focus area comes in. So there's so many different inputs to demos could be, okay, well, number of outbound calls or number of cold email sends, or could also be um, number of like contacts or relationships created at conferences. Like it could be so specific, independent, but this is kind of where like, if you know what the North Star one is, your focus area should really tear up into that, and the the focus area that you pick, that's depending on what it is, the, kind of the hard part, because like you kind of, you have to really think about like okay, well, what do I what seems like it's not working, um, but you do have to pause and ask yourself about, okay, if I'm choosing this KPI, what are the different ways that this isn't or is working. And what are the areas that seem to need the most help? And that's how
0: you determine the focus area. So it can be conversion rate from specific place, or it can mm-hmm. be a volume. Like our goal is to increase the volume of, of something. Yeah. And then a conversion from trial to paid, obviously, inside the product. Anything related to the usage, is it? could it be like the number of emails a typical user sends or absolutely. Like that? Mm-hmm. So
1: every business is different. And I think, well... It is and it isn't like we all kind of struggle, I think, with similar things at the end of the day. But when it comes to what's going to make a company grow, that number, that KPI, it will it will truly be different for different companies. I've got one company where the North Star KPI, it is a product activity. It is specific to the number of accounts. So what it actually is, the number of customers who connect their financial accounts within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. If that number is low, we do not make money.
0: That's sort of just the spe- speedy activation rate. Like, yes. Uh. <laughs> but it's almost
1: like, so activation rate alone, I would argue for this team isn't enough. Like it has to be this specific action because if we choose activation rate, it's, it's a similar problem where it's like our experiments kind of might be all over the place and then it might be messy. But in order to get the product team and the the growth team to like really think, okay, what are the experiments that we're going to run to improve this KPI? That's where choosing your KPI, it's going to make or break your growth function. But for the most part, though, for this client, at least in particular, that activity is the most critical because if if we were to choose something else, we would optimize in a different area and we wouldn't actually get to the heart of the problem, which is this product experience has to get customers to this moment. And if we don't, we're not going to like, we're not going to get there. How do they
0: know? How do they know for sure? Like, well, it's because of the data.
1: Like we're actually, we're able to see, so I can quite literally pull up amplitude right now and show the team. We have a 99% drop-off rate within 24 hours when someone uses the product for the very first time. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Like that's like, do we even have a business? Like <laughs> that's insane. But that's why that 99% drop off rate within 24 hours. That's the thing that's hemorrhaging. It's, it's not traffic. I mean, yes, it could improve, but the fact that customers like prospects will come into the product for the very first time and do quite literally nothing within 24 hours. that's a huge problem. That basically means no one's using it. They're not, like, they will never get the value because they're not using it, which means even if we were to improve, don't get me wrong. Like activation rate in general, like that could very well be the KPI. That could be the north star. Maybe the focus area is this specific product thing. But, but anyway, like you know, let me get into semantics here. But that was the most critical hemorrhaging thing to me when I was looking at it. And yes, like activation rate will naturally come. I think
0: this can mean that you're just not a good candidate for the self serve model, and you just need to remove like self serve signup altogether or Possibly. should you like double down and try other interventions how do you choose i mean it comes down to qualitative effort we when we interviewed customers
1: i think the number one thing that that people complained about was the product experience like the ui and the ux itself were very buggy and didn't work all the time and also very underwhelming it looked the product itself looked like it was from like early 2000s and so so our hunch is that actually This is a product UI UX challenge. And this is based, I mean, it's based off of VOC. Um, But it certainly could be that maybe we have the wrong model and we need like a totally different model, which to be fair, for this particular company, um, this is a downloadable product. So think like MacPaw or it's like downloadable software and you install it and you open it up for the very first time. Our very strong hedge is that like we need to go browser-based truly self-serve the downloadable thing, it's probably not gonna cut it for the future of this company at least. But that downloadable software, it looks it looks very dated. It's kind of confusing. It's overwhelming. The onboarding itself is not super awesome, but it will be one day. They are actually working on overhauling the design of the product. So that's at least getting worked on. Um but even with an ugly product, don't get me wrong, like that has a lot to do with it. But even with the ugly product, like there's the vast majority of people not actually using it. And I think that that is like the, like, okay, like how do we like improve this now? How, how we decide though? I mean, I don't think that there's a perfect answer here, but it's, it's leveraging insight, leveraging data, having a conversation because just because I say it doesn't mean it happens. Like we actually have to talk about it, come up with ideas. Um, and then we commit, we make commitments. Okay. We think, we form our hypothesis. We think if we were to execute these things, we would, we would change some stuff, but these aren't two week sprints in this particular case. These are like overhauling the UX and the UI of a product, not two weeks, months. (laughs) And on top of that, onboarding experience is very similar. There are some things that we can change relatively quickly. And I'm very fortunate in that, um, the team that I'm working with, at least right now, they're very excited. They want to get to it. They want to do it. Um, but anyway, it's, long story short, certainly a work in progress. But but that is part of the decision-making process is having those discussions,
0: talking, talking it out, and then making commitments and then doing it. How often do you set such North Star KPI? Like, do you iterate in that? Do you change it yearly, quarterly? Mm, good question. Like, your examples of KPIs were just so, like, you would never get that f- from the first try. Like, <laughs> it would take like five years to get to that point of wisdom that you mentioned. So, how do you get there?
1: How do you get there? Yeah. The North Star KPI, at the end of the day, I think you really only change it when you've made progress on it, progress that you are satisfied Ooh. with. Oh. And that can feel spicy for some people, but. There are some, though, that would argue that, and I'm very much a believer of this too. Where as you get more data, as you get more insight, as you learn more, you might decide actually this thing over here is what's painful. So the the product example that I gave earlier of like the North Star KPI is actually improving this very specific user behavior. I arrived at that in about four to five weeks. Like it, it didn't like it wasn't like week one we drop in. Um, we had to collect lots of insight and lots of data for that to for that to happen. But I I had to convince the growth team, guys, like yes, traffic is a priority. Yes, we're going to of course put some effort towards that because marketing can't code. Like we're not going to like help you guys code the product. So while this is actually happening in the background, there's other things for us to be doing. But it took some time to arrive at that very clear critical KPI and then I think at the end of the day, there are things in motion for that to get improved. So we're kind of choosing like little micro other, like <laughs> Northrop KPI, there should really only be one. But by the default, by the nature of our team, we almost have to pick different goals while we're waiting for that one to be improved. So there is a potential to maybe split focus areas, but there also may be a potential to actually truly align everyone and everyone is focused on it. And then from there, uh, you really only change it as you make progress. And as, as you make progress that you guys are satisfied with, but then obviously like, you might have to shift. And I don't think that there's a perfect answer for when or why or where that happens. But I do think it's a strategic decision and one that should heavily involve the founders so that way they're aware and that they agree and that they're aligned and also the rest of the team. Shifting focus for the team, it can be very costly if it happens too much. And that's something, even a small team, even just four people or three people can be very costly. So we have to kind of weigh the pros and cons and figure out like what the trade-offs are of that. But in theory, you could change your non-star KPI a couple times a year. It could also be once every two years. I think it could also be once a quarter you change your non-star KPI because you're somehow making like incredible progress. And, and, you know, but
0: that's rare. I don't think that's like the rule. Another rule is double down on what works. Right. So you're not changing the KPI, are you? what do you do? Double down or try something else?
1: Yeah. This is where it gets fun because you kind of, you get to decide like, okay, this might still be the North Star KPI, but maybe we have a different focus area. So website trial, traffic to trial conversion rate, for example, there's so much that goes into traffic to trial and website experience is actually quite robust. It's, it's taken me years to realize this too. Like it's just so much more than just the homepage. It's every single page on your website. It's every single message that you put out there. It's quite literally everything. And the focus area, maybe that's our KPI, is we want to improve the website to uh, traffic to to trial or traffic to demo, whatever that is. And I recently heard a stat that's like, you need to get to 10%. Like, 10% is your goal. But maybe you're at 3%.
0: And getting to 10% seems, like, impossible. (laughs) 10% traffic to trial, it's... I know. I, I <laughs> even agreed. for the smoothest self serve, it's a lot. <laughs> I agree, and I I also was a little bit shook by that because
1: I think two to three percent is great. Like, oh man, you guys are killing it. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm working with a client right now. They have a twenty percent traffic to trial conversion rate. I'm and there's a part of me that's like benchmarks are dangerous because they make they make it feel like they're ceilings, but they actually aren't. Not always. Anyway, so all that to say. There's many different focus areas though for that. Like there's so many different areas. There's, okay, like design, there's copy, there's messaging, there's flow of the experience, there's what pages we introduce and when. And each of those focus areas you could you could spend, honestly, years on if you wanted, all in the pursuit of that North Star KPI. But, but this is also where I would say, your mileage may vary. Don't spend two years, obviously, on <laughs> just doing that and that alone. But I do think that there gets to a place to where i hate to say you get comfortable, but you, you almost are like, OK, like we have we have dramatically improved this North Star KPI. We can move on to the next thing that that needs help. And I think most teams in the early days are going to do that. Like they're going to they're, they're going to adjust the North Star KPI over time. And I think that's very natural. There are some there are some very regimented thinkers, though, that are like, nope, it's the North Star KPI forever, or at least for like a while. I think the reality though, for smaller teams that are earlier, it's probably going to shift.
0: We once uh, added a lead magnet to our website, which started performing because it finally put up the opt-in pop-up that started bringing in people. And Laura Roter, I uh, asked her for some advice, like what lead magnets do I test? And she's like, you've got one. That's it. Like it works. Just stop there and do other stuff. And I was like, Wow, that's refreshing. Like I was on the journey of like testing, thinking, like tweaking, and that's not what y- you do. You have more powerful levers out there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Once you smash one lever, it's like, okay, what's the next
1: one? <laughs> but yeah, depending on the lever, though, it could take a while
0: we're running out of time. This was amazing. Uh, where can people go online and find you and uh, ask you for help and read what you write and do other things?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me at Asia Arangio, and then demandmaven.io is where we do all of our good work. We also have a podcast, the In Demand Podcast. You can find that there. And we are going to also bring the blog back to life. So I will be starting to write all of these ideas that I'm talking about today. I'm going to actually start writing about them, which is exciting and also very intimidating because writing takes me a while, but (laughs) hopefully it'll be super big value. But yeah, those are the ways that you can find me. And then if you ever go to any conferences in the future, I like to go to MicroConf, Business of Software, Turing Fest, all those. So if if you're ever there, definitely look for me.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your insights, Asia. It was great. And wishing good luck in 2023, the hard year for everybody, but hope <laughs> it's great for you. Thank you so much. And likewise, thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at useless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving your view on iTunes.